Preface of Ten Days That Shook the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deborah. Ten Days That Shook the World by John Reed. Preface. This book is a slice of intensified history. History as I saw it. It does not pretend to be anything but a detailed account of the November Revolution, when the Bolsheviki, at the head of the workers and soldiers, seized the state power of Russia and placed it in the hands of the Soviets. Naturally, most of it deals with Red Petrograd, the capital and heart of the insurrection, but the reader must realize that what took place in Petrograd was almost exactly duplicated, with greater or lesser intensity at different intervals of time all over Russia. In this book, the first of several which I am writing, I must confine myself to a chronicle of those events which I myself observed and experienced, and those supported by reliable evidence, preceded by two chapters briefly outlining the background and causes of the November Revolution. I am aware that these two chapters make difficult reading, but they are essential to an understanding of what follows. Many questions will suggest themselves to the mind of the reader. What is Bolshevism? What kind of a government structure did the Bolsheviki set up? If the Bolsheviki championed the Constituent Assembly before the November Revolution, why did they disperse it by force of arms afterward? And if the bourgeoisie opposed the Constituent Assembly until the danger of Bolshevism became apparent, why did they champion it afterward? These and many other questions cannot be answered here. In another volume, Kornilov to Bretzlitzkov, I trace the course of the revolution up to and including the German peace. There I explain the origin and functions of the revolutionary organizations, the evolution of popular sentiment, the dissolution of the constituent assembly, the structure of the Soviet state, and the course and outcome of the Brest-Litsovk negotiations. In considering the rise of the Bolsheviki, it is necessary to understand that Russian economic life and the Russian army were not disorganized on November 7, 1917, but many months before, as the logical result of a process which began as far back as 1915. The corrupt reactionaries in control of the Tsar's court deliberately undertook to wreck Russia in order to make a separate peace with Germany. The lack of arms on the front which had caused the great retreat of the summer of 1915, the lack of food in the army and in the great cities, the breakdown of manufactures and transportations in 1916, all these we know now were part of a gigantic campaign of sabotage. This was halted just in time by the March Revolution. For the first few months of the new regime, in spite of the confusion incident upon a great revolution, when 160 millions of the world's most oppressed peoples suddenly achieved liberty, both the internal situation and the combative power of the army actually improved. But the honeymoon was short. The property classes wanted merely a political revolution which would take the power from the Tsar and give it to them. They wanted Russia to be a constitutional republic like France or the United States, or a constitutional monarchy like England. On the other hand, the masses of the people wanted real industrial and agrarian democracy. William English Walling, in his book Russia's Message, an account of the revolution, 
of 1905 describes very well the state of mind of the Russian workers, who were later to support Bolshevism almost unanimously. They, the working people, saw it was possible that even under a free government, if it fell into the hands of other social classes, they might still continue to starve. The Russian workman is revolutionary, but he is neither violent, dogmatic, nor unintelligent. He is ready for barricades, but he has studied them, and alone of the workers of the world he has learned about them from actual experience. He is ready and willing to fight his oppressor, the capitalist class, to a finish, but he does not ignore the existence of other classes. He merely asks that the other classes take one side or the other in the bitter conflict that draws near. They, the workers, were all agreed that our American political institutions were preferable to their own, but they were not very anxious to exchange one despot for another, i.e., the capitalist class. The working men of Russia did not have themselves shot down, executed by hundreds in Moscow, Riga, and Odessa, imprisoned by thousands in every Russian jail, and exiled to the deserts and the Arctic regions in exchange for the doubtful privileges of the working men of Goldsfield and Cripple Creek, and so developed in Russia in the midst of a foreign war, the social revolution on top of the political revolution, culminating in the triumph of Bolshevism. Mr. A. J. Sack, director in this country of the Russian Information Bureau, which opposes the Soviet government, has this to say in his book, The Birth of the Russian Democracy. The Bolsheviks organized their own cabinet, with Nicholas Lenin, as premier, and Leon Trotsky, Minister of Foreign Affairs, the inevitability of their coming into power became evident almost immediately after the March Revolution. The history of the Bolsheviki after the Revolution is a history of their steady growth. Foreigners, and Americans especially, frequently emphasize the ignorance of the Russian workers. It is true they lacked the political experience of the peoples of the West, but they were very well trained in voluntary organization. In 1917, there were more than 12 million members of the Russian Consumers Cooperative Societies, and the Soviets themselves were a wonderful demonstration of their organizing genius. Moreover, there is probably not a people in the world so well educated in socialist theory and its practical application. William English Walling thus characterizes them. The Russian working people are for the most part able to read and write. For many years the country has been in such a disturbed condition that they have had the advantage of leadership, not only of intelligent individuals in their midst, but of a large part of the equally revolutionary educated class, who have turned to the working people with their ideas for the political and social regeneration of Russia. Many writers explain their hostility to the Soviet government by arguing that the last phase of the Russian Revolution was simply a struggle of the respectable elements against the brutal attacks of Bolshevism. However, it was the propertied classes who, when they realized the growth in power of the popular revolutionary organizations, undertook to destroy them and to halt the revolution. To this end, the property classes finally resorted to desperate measures. In order to wreck the Kerensky ministry and the Soviets, transportation was disorganized and internal troubles provoked. To crush the factory shop committees, plants were shut down, and fuel and raw materials diverted. 
to break the army committees at the front, capital punishment was restored, and military defeat connived at. This was all excellent fuel for the Bolshevik fire. The Bolsheviki retorted by preaching the class war and by asserting the supremacy of the Soviets. Between these two extremes, with the other factions, which wholeheartedly or half-heartedly supported them, were the so-called moderate socialists, the Mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries, and several similar parties. These groups were also attacked by the property classes, but their power of resistance was crippled by their theories. Roughly, the Mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries believed that Russia was not economically ripe for a social revolution, that only a political revolution was possible. According to their interpretation, the Russian masses were not educated enough to take over the power. Any attempt to do so would inevitably bring on a reaction by means of which some ruthless opportunist might restore the old regime. And so it followed that when the moderate socialists were forced to assume the power, they were afraid to use it. They believed that Russia must pass through the stages of political and economic development known to Western Europe, and emerge at last with the rest of the world into full-fledged socialism. Naturally, therefore, they agreed with the property classes that Russia must first be a parliamentary state, though with some improvements on the Western democracies. As a consequence, they insisted upon the collaboration of the property classes in the government. From this it was an easy step to supporting them. The moderate socialists needed the bourgeoisie, but the bourgeoisie did not need the moderate socialists. So it resulted in the socialist ministers being obliged to give away little by little on their entire program, while the property classes grew more and more insistent. And at the end, when the Bolsheviki upset the whole hollow compromise, the Mensheviki and socialist revolutionaries found themselves fighting on the side of the property classes. In almost every country in the world today, the same phenomenon is visible. Instead of being a destructive force, it seems to me that the Bolsheviki were the only party in Russia with a constructive program, and the power to impose it on the country. If they had not succeeded to the government when they did, there is little doubt in my mind that the armies of Imperial Germany would have been in Petrograd and Moscow in December and Russia would again be ridden by a czar. It is still fashionable, after a whole year of the Soviet government, to speak of the Bolshevik insurrection as an adventure. Adventure it was, and one of the most marvelous mankind ever embarked upon, sweeping into history at the head of the toiling masses, and staking everything on their vast and simple desires. Already the machinery had been set up, by which the land of the great estates could be distributed among the peasants. The factory shop committees and the trade unions were there to put into operation workers' control of industry. In every village, town, city, district, and province there were Soviets of workers, soldiers, and peasants' deputies prepared to assume the task of social administration. No matter what one thinks of Bolshevism, it is undeniable that the Russian Revolution is one of the great events of human history, and the rise of the Bolsheviki a phenomenon of worldwide importance. Just as historians search the records for the minutest details of the story of the Paris Commune, 
so they will want to know what happened in petrograd in november nineteen seventeen the spirit which animated the people and how the leaders looked talked and acted it is with all this in view that i have written this book in the struggle my sympathies were not neutral but in telling the story of those great days i have tried to see events with the eye of a conscientious reporter interested in setting down the truth j r new york january first nineteen nineteen notes and explanations to the average reader the multiplicity of russian organization political groups committees and central committees soviets dumas and unions will prove extremely confusing for this reason i am giving here a few brief descriptions and explanations political parties in the elections to the constituent assembly there were seventeen tickets in petrograd and in some of the provincial towns as many as forty but the following summary of the aims and composition of political parties is limited to the groups and factions mentioned in this book only the essence of their programs and the general character of their constituencies can be noticed number one monarchists of various shades octoberists etc these once powerful factions no longer existed openly they either worked underground or their members joined the cadets as the cadets came by degrees to stand for their political program representatives in this book rodzianko shulgin number two cadets so called from the initials of its name constitutional democrats its official name is party of the people's freedom under the czar composed of liberals from the propertied classes the cadets were the great party of political reform roughly corresponding to the progressive party in america when the revolution broke out in march nineteen seventeen the cadets formed the first provisional government the cadet ministry was overthrown in april because it declared itself in favor of allied imperialistic aims including the imperialistic aims of the czar's government as the revolution became more and more a social economic revolution the cadets grew more and more conservative its representatives in this book are milikov vinever shatsky two a group of public men after the cadets had become unpopular through their relations with the kornilov counter-revolution the group of public men was formed in moscow delegates from the group of public men were given portfolios in the last kerensky cabinet the group declared itself non-partisan although its intellectual leaders were men like rodzienko and shulgin it was composed of the more modern bankers merchants and manufacturers who were intelligent enough to realize that the soviets must be fought by their own weapon economic organization typical of the group lyanazov konovalov populist socialists or trudoviki labor group numerically a small party composed of cautious intellectuals the leaders of the cooperative societies and conservative peasants professing to be socialists the populists really supported the interests of the petty bourgeoisie clerks shopkeepers etc 
by direct descent inheritors of the compromising tradition of the labor group in the fourth imperial duma which was composed largely of peasant representatives kerensky was the leader of the trodoivsky in the imperial duma when the revolution of march nineteen seventeen broke out the populist socialists are a nationalistic party the representatives in this book are Petrushenkov, Tchaikovsky. Number four, Russian Social Democratic Labor Party, originally Marxian Socialists. At a party congress held in 1903, the party split on the question of tactics into two factions: the majority, Bolshevisto, and the minority, Meshevisto. From this sprang the names Bolsheviki and Mensheviki members of the majority and members of the minority these two wings became two separate parties both calling themselves russian social democratic labor party and both professing to be marxians since the revolution of 1905 the bolsheviki were really the minority becoming again the majority in september 1917 mensheviki this party includes all shades of socialists who believe that society must progress by natural evolution toward socialism and that the working class must conquer political power first also a nationalistic party this was the party of the socialist intellectuals which means all the means of education having been in the hands of the property classes the intellectuals instinctively reacted to their training and took the side of the property classes. Among the representatives in this book are Dan, Lieber, Cetzarelli. Mensheviki Internationalists, the radical wing of the Mensheviki. Internationalists and opposed to all coalition with the property classes, yet unwilling to break loose from the conservative Mensheviki, and opposed to the dictatorship of the working class advocated by the Bolsheviki. Trotsky was long a member of this group. Among their leaders, Martov, Martinov. Bolsheviki now call themselves the Communist Party in order to emphasize their complete separation from the tradition of moderate or parliamentary socialism, which dominates the Mensheviki, or so-called majority socialists in all countries. The Bolsheviki proposed immediate proletarian insurrection and seizure of the reins of government in order to hasten the coming of socialism by forcibly taking over industry, land, natural resources, and financial institutions. This party expresses the desires chiefly of the factory workers, but also of a large section of the poor peasants. The name Bolshevik cannot be translated by maximalist. The Maximalists are a separate group. Among the leaders, Lenin, Trotsky, Lutincharsky. United Social Democratic Internationalists, also called the Zovaya Zen, New Life Group, from the name of the very influential newspaper which was its organ. A little group of intellectuals with a very small following among the working class, except the following of Maxim Gorsky, its leader. Intellectuals with almost the same program as the Mensheviki internationalists, except that the Zovayan Zen group 
refused to be tied to either of the two great factions, opposed the Bolshevik tactics, but remained in the Soviet government. Other representatives in this book, Avalov, Kramarov, Yedinsvo, a very small and dwindling group, composed almost entirely of the personal following of Plekhanov, one of the pioneers of the Russian social democratic movement in the 80s, and its greatest theoretician. Now an old man, Plekhanov was extremely patriotic, too conservative even for the Mensheviki. After the Bolshevik coup d'etat, Yenstevo disappeared. Socialist Revolutionary Party, called Essers from the initials of their name. Originally the Revolutionary Party of the Peasants, the Party of the Fighting Organizations, the Terrorists. After the March Revolution, it was joined by many who had never been socialists. At that time, it stood for the abolition of private property and land only, the owners to be compensated in some fashion. Finally, the increasing revolutionary feeling of peasants forced the assayers to abandon the compensation clause and led to the younger and more fiery intellectuals breaking off from the main party in the fall of 1917 and forming a new party, the Left Socialist Revolutionary Party. The Aesers, who finally came to represent the wealthier peasants, the intellectuals, and the politically uneducated populations of remote rural districts. Among them there was, however, a wider difference of shades of political and economic opinion than among the Mensheviki. Among their leaders mentioned in these pages, Avsentiev, Gotz, Kerensky, Chernov, Babushka, Brezhkovskaya, left socialist revolutionaries. Although theoretically sharing the Bolshevik program of dictatorship of the working class, at first were reluctant to follow the ruthless Bolshevik tactics. However, the left socialist revolutionaries remained in the Soviet government, sharing the cabinet portfolios, especially that of agriculture. They withdrew from the government several times, but always returned. As the peasants left the ranks of the Aesirs in increasing numbers, they joined the Left Socialist Revolutionary Party, which became the Great Peasant Party, supporting the Soviet government, standing for confiscation, without compensation, of the great landed estates, and their disposition by the peasants themselves. Among the leaders, Spirandanova, Karolin, Karnov, Kolegayev, Maximalists, an offshoot of the Socialist Revolutionary Party in the Revolution of 1905, when it was a powerful peasant movement, demanding the immediate application of the maximum socialist program. Now an insignificant group of peasant anarchists, parliamentary procedure, Russian meetings, and conventions are organized after the continental model, rather than our own. The first action is usually the election of officers and the presidium. The Presidium is a presiding committee, composed of representatives of the groups and political factions represented in the Assembly in proportion to their numbers. The Presidium arranges the order of business, and its members can be called upon by the President to take the chair pro tem. Each question, vopro, is stated in a general way and then debated, and at the close of the debate, resolutions are submitted by the different factions, 
and each one voted on separately. The order of business can be and usually is smashed to pieces in the first half hour. On the plea of emergency, which the crowd almost always grants, anybody from the floor can get up and say anything on the subject. The crowd controls the meeting, practically the only functions of the speaker, being to keep order by ringing a little bell, and to recognize speakers. Almost all the real work of the session is done in caucuses of the different groups and political factions, which almost always cast their votes in a body and are represented by floor leaders. The result is, however, that at any important new point or vote, the session takes a recess to enable the different groups and political factions to hold a caucus. The crowd is extremely noisy, cheering or heckling speakers, overriding the plans of the Presidium. Among the customary cries are Proisum, Proisum, please go on, Provlivno, or Etoviamo, that's true, Right, Dolvono, enough, Deloy, down with him, Posor, shame, and Tishi, silence not so noisy. Popular Organizations Number 1. Soviet The word Soviet means council. Under the Tsar, the Imperial Council of State was called Gudstarveni Soviet. Since the Revolution, however, the term Soviet has come to be associated with a certain type of parliament elected by members of working-class economic organizations the Soviet of workers, or soldiers, or of peasants' deputies. I have therefore limited the word to these bodies, and wherever it occurs I have translated it council. Besides the local Soviets, elected in every city, town, and village of Russia, and in large cities, also ward, rayoni Soviets, there are also the Obslent, or Gubernersky, district or provincial Soviets and the Central Executive Committee of the All-Russian Soviets in the capital, called from it, its initials to Seiki. Almost everywhere the Soviets of workers and of soldiers' deputies combined very soon after the March Revolution. In separate matters concerning their peculiar interests, however, the workers and the soldiers' sections continued to meet separately. The Soviets of peasants' deputies did not join the other two, until after the Bolshevik coup d'etat, they too were organized, like the workers and soldiers, with an executive committee of the all-Russian peasants' Soviets in the capital. Trade Unions Although mostly industrial in form, the Russian labor unions were still called trade unions, and at the time of the Bolshevik Revolution, had from three to four million members. These unions were also organized in an all-Russian body, a sort of Russian Federation of Labor, which had its central executive committee in the capital. Factory shop committees. These were spontaneous organizations created in the factories by the workers in their attempt to control industry, taking advantage of the administrative breakdown incident upon the revolution. Their function was by revolutionary action to take over and run the factories. Factory shop committees also had their all-Russian organization, with a central committee at Petrograd, which cooperated with the trade unions. Dumas. The word Duma means roughly deliberative body. The old imperial Duma, which persisted six months after the revolution in a democratized form, 
died a natural death in September 1917. The City Duma referred to in this book was the reorganized municipal council, often called municipal self-government. It was elected by direct and secret ballot, and its only reason for failure to hold the masses during the Bolshevik Revolution was the general decline in influence of all purely political representation in the fact of the growing power of organizations based on economic groups. Zemstovs must be roughly translated county councils. Under the Tsar, semi-political, semi-social bodies with very little administrative power, developed and controlled largely by intellectual liberals among the landowning classes. Their most important function was education and social service among the peasants. During the war, the Zemstovs gradually took over the entire feeding and clothing of the Russian army, as well as the buying from foreign countries, and work among the soldiers generally corresponding to the work of the American YMCA at the front. After the March Revolution, the Zemstovs were democratized, with a view to making them the organs of local government in the rural districts. But like the city Dumas, they could not compete with the Soviets cooperatives. These were the workers and peasants consumers cooperative societies, which had several million members all over Russia before the revolution. Founded by liberals and moderate socialists, the cooperative movement was not supported by the revolutionary socialist groups, because it was a substitute for the complete transference of means of production and distribution into the hands of the workers. After the March Revolution, the cooperatives spread rapidly and were dominated by populist socialists, Mensheviki, and socialist revolutionaries, and acted as a conservative political force until the Bolshevik Revolution. However, it was the cooperatives which fed Russia when the old structure of commerce and transportation collapsed. Army Committees the army committees were formed by the soldiers at the front to combat the reactionary influence of the old regime officers. Every company, regiment, brigade, vision, and corps had its committee, over all of which was elected the army committee. The central army committee cooperated with the general staff. The administrative breakdown in the army incident upon the revolution threw upon the shoulders of the army committees most of the work of the quartermaster's department, and in some cases even the command of troops. Fleet Committees The corresponding organizations in the Navy Central Committees In the spring and summer of 1917, all Russian conventions of every sort of organization were held at Petrograd. There were national congresses at workers, soldiers, peasants, Soviets, trade unions, factory shop committees, army and fleet committees, besides every branch of the military and naval service, cooperatives, nationalities, etc. Each of these conventions elected a central committee or a central executive committee to guard its particular interests at the seat of government. As the provisional government grew weaker, the central committees were forced to assume more and more administrative powers. The most important central committees mentioned in this book are Union of Unions. During the revolution of 1905, Professor Milukov and other liberals established unions of professional men doctors, lawyers, physicians, etc. 
These were united under one central organization, the Union of Unions. In 1905, the Union of Unions acted with the revolutionary democracy. In 1917, however, the Union of Unions opposed the Bolshevik uprising and united the government employees who went on strike against the authorities of the Soviets. Tsiika, All-Russian Central Executive Committee of the Soviets of Workers and Soldiers Deputies, so-called from the initials of its name. Centraflot, Centrafleet, the Central Fleet Committee. Vizgil, All-Russian Central Committee of the Railway Workers Union, so-called from the initials of its name. Other organizations, Red Guards. The Armed Factory Workers of Russia, the Red Guards, were the first formed during the Revolution of 1905 and sprang into existence again in the days of March 1917, when a force was needed to keep order in the city. At that time they were armed, and all efforts of the provisional government to disarm them were more or less unsuccessful. At every great crisis in the Revolution, the Red Guards appeared on the streets, untrained and undisciplined, but full of revolutionary zeal. White Guards, bourgeois volunteers, who emerged in the last stages of the Revolution, to defend private property from the Bolshevik attempt to abolish it. A great many of them were university students. Tatinsky, the so-called Savage Division in the Army, made up of Mohammedan tribes from Central Asia and personally devoted to General Kornilov. The Tahinsky were all noted for their blind obedience and their savage cruelty in warfare. Death battalions or shock battalions. The Women's Battalion is known to the world as the Death Battalion, but there were many Death Battalions composed of men. These were formed in the summer of 1917 by Kerensky for the purpose of strengthening the discipline and combative fire of the army by heroic example. The Death Battalions were composed mostly of intense young patriots. These came for the most part from among the sons of the property classes, Union of Officers an organization formed among the reactionary officers in the army to combat politically the growing power of the army committees. Knights of St. George The Cross of St. George was awarded for distinguished action in battle. Its holder automatically became a Knight of St. George. The predominant influence in the organization was that of the supporters of the military idea. Peasants' Union in 1905, the Peasants' Union was a revolutionary peasants' organization. In 1917, however, it had become the political expression of the more prosperous peasants to fight the growing power and revolutionary aims of the Soviets of peasants' deputies. Chronology and Spelling I have adopted in this book our calendar throughout instead of the former Russian calendar, which was 13 days earlier. In the spelling of Russian names and words, I have made no attempt to follow any scientific rules for transliteration, but have tried to give the spelling which would lead the English-speaking reader to the simplest approximation of their pronunciation. Sources Much of the material in this book is from my own notes. I have also relied, however, upon a heterogeneous file of several hundred assorted Russian newspapers, covering almost every day of the time described of files of the English paper, the Russian Daily News, and of the two French papers, 
journaux de Russie and Entente, but far more valuable than these is the Bulletin de la Presse, issued daily by the French Information Bureau in Petrograd, which reports all important happenings, speeches, and the comment of the Russian press. Of this, I have an almost complete file from the spring of 1917 to the end of January 1918. Besides the foregoing, I have in my possession almost every proclamation, decree, and announcement posted on the walls of Petrograd from the middle of September 1917 to the end of January 1918. Also the official publication of all government decrees and orders, and the official government publication of the secret treaties and other documents discovered in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs when the Bolsheviki took it over. End of Preface